You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. I'm going to read it in the NIV version, but you could read it in whatever version you have. <clears throat> this is the passage that is... Um, today, today, all this month, we're going to talk about Calvinism and Arminianism. And if you don't know what that is, well, you're in for a treat because we're going to talk about that a lot this month. So Ephesians 2, 4 through 11, excuse me, 4 through 10, starts off with this. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, everybody say God, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And then this famous verse that I imagine many of you memorized, um, it is by grace you have been saved. And then we'll continue that part in a second here. But verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then the, the, the rest of the famous phrase and verse says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. So let's pray this morning. God, as we consider salvation and grace and faith and how you work things out for us and how we in turn, do works, but that it's, it's not about salvation. It's about doing the works you've prepared for us. And as we talk about those things this morning, would you open our hearts and our minds, open us up to your wisdom, your understanding of salvation and grace and works and faith and how that all works together for us, Lord. We thank you that we have um, this ability to, to come to you and, and receive your salvation for us. We praise you, Jesus. We, we worship you. And everybody said, amen. Well, uh, I want to tell you a story, a story of my college days, which is a few years ago. Here's a picture of some of my college friends. That's, that's me up in the left, uh, top left, with the sweet goatee, because sweet goatees uh, were cool back then, and they're cool now if you have one, um, of course. Um, and uh, this group was a really cool group. I lived in Utah during my college years, uh, a couple of them at least. And it was a really cool formative time in my Christian walk because I was kind of a small group leader. Anybody ever been to a small group? Anybody lead a small group ever in your life? Quite a few. If you've ever had that experience, it's really cool. For me, it was really formative in my Christian walk. And I led this group. There was a few more of us as well. And we would just, all we would do is, is take passages, verses of Scripture, whole chapters actually. We, we study a chapter every Wednesday. We would read that chapter, and then we would talk about that chapter. It was a really cool, kind of nonchalant small group where we all learned a lot and discussed a lot. And one of the topics I remember discussing as I was leading this small group was uh, we read this passage in Ephesians, the one that I just read, and we had this conversation, this kind of ongoing conversation about Calvinism and Arminianism. And if you've never heard those terms, um, really it's just the debate between predestination and free will. Are we predestined or for salvation or is it us who choose. So it's this, it's this free will and predestination. And so way back in the day, in my college years, I was just fascinated with this. We read this verse, and then I, I just saw this debate and discussion forming uh, in front of my own eyes as people kind of took sides. Like, people would say, no, God chose us for salvation. And other people would say, well, well, he chose us because maybe he knew that we would choose him. And then some other people would say, no, it's, just, it's totally our choice, our responsibility to either choose God or to not choose God. And then the other side would come back. And, and, and this discussion was, was happening. And it ended up being like months of us as this college group just talking about this and researching it. And for me, it was just like this very formative, you know, if I looked back in my life, because um, now here I am as a pastor, and, and look back, like what events led me to becoming a pastor? This is probably one of those moments that was very formative. This, this curiosity and this, this 
just deep, like I just wanted to learn about salvation and Calvinism and Arminianism and free will and predestination and figure it out. And so I remember filling up journals with just thoughts and going, uh, it was back in the day when the internet was really slow. Anybody remember that when you have like a dial up? Um, the internet was so slow, so I'd go to the library and just spend hours like on the internet or researching in books and reading about John Calvin and Jacob Arminian and, and researching verses and finding out that different churches have different opinions when it comes to this. Um, but I just fell in love with researching. And I, I don't know that, looking back, I don't know that I ever like d- decided like I'm a Calvinist or I'm truly an Arminianist. Um, and I've, I've, sometimes I've gone back and forth saying like, ah, I think I'm Calvinist or I think I'm Arminianist. Um, but the, I just remember the joy of researching and the, and the joy of, of, of seeing the discussion take place around me in that small group. And so this whole month, we're going to be talking about predestination and free will. And I've already heard some of you say like, yes, that's so fun and exciting. And some of you are like, oh no, are we going to debate? Are we going to like kill each other? Uh, it's like, no, we're not going to kill each other, but we'll, we, we will discuss. We have today, uh, just in a little while, we're going to have three people representing uh, Calvinism, Arminianism, and then a middle ground, which will be fun to see that discussion. Um, and, I, and I prefer to call it a discussion and not a debate. Um, but anyways, I just, I thought uh, Annie Tuttle, who we're going to hear from in a minute, um, from the Calvinist side, she said that we, we, a bunch of us uh, for the Mill Sunday School leaders meet each month and we talk about the topic. And she said something pretty fascinating. She said, salvation is simple enough for a child to understand. And then yet it has these complexities, which we can talk about for hours and days and months and spend our lives thinking about and researching. So we're going to get a little piece of that this morning as we, as we, as we say, we all agree that how salvation works is, you know, we are saved through Jesus and the atonement that God made on the cross. But then how does that work as far as us choosing or God choosing us? What's his sovereignty? What's our role and responsibility? So that is today here at the Mill Sunday School. So welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new, we make all new people stand up and share their life story real quick. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> that'd be really awkward. Um, uh, all we, we Welcome if you're new. Uh, you don't have to do this, but if you want to, you can fill out a card that's on the table. It looks like this. And then on your way out, uh, if you give it to the nice people in the booth and as you leave, we'll give you a gift bag with our senior pastor's book in it, uh, a welcome CD from The Mill on a Friday night, which is our college and 20-somethings ministry, which kind of hosts Sunday school. But by no means do you have to be college or 20-something to come. You could be older or younger, and you're welcome all the same. So that's that. Uh, welcome to Sunday school, and let's dive right in. So if, if you've never heard of the words Calvinism or Arminianism, um, how many of you would say you could explain both Calvinism and Arminianism? Um, raise your hand. Um, less than half. So, so this, for the other half of you that didn't raise your hand, you might feel a little like this this morning. Um, <laughs> drinking water out of a fire hydrant. Just, uh, it's going to be a lot this morning. Um, and so if you leave here going like, oh, man, I just learned so much, and uh, the name, I've just barely can keep the names straight, um, know that we're going to talk about this for the rest of the month, and it will be a pretty cool discussion as we go. But it really has a lot to do with, with how we go about our life. So here we are with all these directions we can choose, left, right, forward, backwards. And it feels all along the way that we have choice, that, that we can do what we want. We, of course, have free will. But I think there's oftentimes we look back at our life and we say, wow, I think God was leading me through that and has led me to where I am now. Um, and I didn't know that at the time, but now I would look back and say, I think God led me here and that God was working through me in this process and God chose for that to happen so that this might happen and God might use me in this situation or that situation. And this, specifically this month, we're going to talk about salvation. Do we get to choose Jesus and, and do we have the responsibility of choosing Jesus uh, ultimately for our faith? Or is there passages in Scripture that have to do with God's sovereignty? He is totally sovereign over all things, and maybe he chooses us. And of course, it might feel like we choose him, but ultimately he chooses those he redeems. Um, Which one is it? So there's this big, um, I guess, discussion, kind of ongoing discussion within Christianity over predestination and free will. 
And of course, the terms are Calvinism and Arminianism. Um, and I say, of course, because those are the ones that Christians often use. And sometimes we just expect that you know those terms. We'll just say, are you a Calvinist or Arminianist? And you might just look at them like they're insane. Like, what? Are you asking me what I want to eat for lunch? Um, no, we're asking you what if, you're, if you lean more towards predestination or free will. Like, how does salvation come to individuals? And so I'm just going to dive in and describe Calvinism. Then I'm going to describe Arminianism. And then we're going to have our panel up here who's going to kind of define further with little paragraphs. And then uh, they're going to each be given three minutes uh, of, of chat about why they particularly are, are an Arminianist or a Calvinist or if they have the middle position. And then uh, we're going to do a discussion with all of you where at your tables there should be like a white blank piece of paper. Um, and, and you as a table will come up with a question per table um, for, for one or all of the panel members. You could say, as a Calvinist, what do you think about this? Or uh, this is for all three of you. How would you explain this? So that's kind of today in a nutshell. Cool beans? Okay. So you've seen this before. I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse when I, when I talk about this. If you've been to Sunday school before, um, this is just a good reminder for us that there's open-handed issues and close-handed issues. And the close-handed issues, um, we would say, are about um, the, the doctrines of, of the church, the Christian church that we all believe, the, the creedal statements, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, things we have believed as Christians since Christ. They're, they're the firm foundational issues that are in a closed hand. And in the open hand would be issues that we could discuss and debate and we could talk about. We could talk like the end times last month. We talked about how that's a lot of open-handed issues. There can be discussion within the church. And I think this discussion, um, Calvinism versus Arminianism, free will versus predestination is an open-handed issue. I think if you leave here today, um, the one thing I hope you will see, is, especially from the panel, the three people that come up, is this was just a discussion. These people love each other. Um, and we put, uh, if you notice the cover, did anyone notice the cover? If you kind of squint your eyes, you could see the light picture. Um, it's the three of them, uh, Jordan, Aaron, and Annie, killing each other with pans and knives. Um, and that, of course, is a joke. We're not going to have a debate in here where it gets bloody, literally or figuratively, um, although that would be fun to watch. I don't think that's what God calls us to do as fellow Christians. Um, so all three of them, we, we talked um, on, two, was it Tuesday, Wednesday? Taco, it was Tuesday because we had tacos. Uh, we talked on Tuesday and, <laughs> sorry, we, we all agreed that this is an open-handed issue, that we will not throw around the word heretic, like, oh, you're a Calvinist, you're a heretic. Or if you're a Calvinist, and you'd say, oh, you're an Arminianist, you're a heretic. No, let's, let's, this is an open-handed issue. Um, we will discuss this. So, here we go. Uh, predestination, free will, Calvinism, Arminianism. Um, so let's talk about Calvinism. Some of you probably know that there's a mnemonic uh, acronym for Calvinism. It's a type of flower. It is tulip. How many of you knew that? Oh, a little less than half. Great. So here is this pneumatic, pneumonic, pneumonic device, this acronym for the five points of Calvinism. So somewhere, if you've been a Christian for a little while, someone has probably asked you, are you a five-point Calvinist? Or you've overheard people talking, and maybe you heard someone say, I'm a two-point Calvinist, or I'm a three-point Calvinist. Well, here are the five points. T-U-L-I-P, five points, five letters. They each represent um, something. So we're going to go over Calvinism, um, and then I think we'll just take the opposite of what each one of these says for Arminianism. Cool beans? So the T, some of you probably know this, stands for, wow, I'm impressed, total depravity. Um, Total depravity basically means that if we're using an analogy, um, that we as humans are in a pit, let's just say, a muddy, deep hole, and that is our sinful condition. We are down in this pit. We cannot climb back up on our own. We need God to lower down a ladder. Uh, We need God to go down and pick us up, um, depending on how you want to look at that analogy. But the analogy for totally depraved or total depravity is our sinful condition as human beings. And Arminianists, what we'll find out, will say, we're not totally depraved. Um, 
We are depraved somewhat, um, but let's concentrate on Calvinism for just a second. And this, this viewpoint says we are totally unable to dig ourselves out of a pit. And that, that pit is sin and death. And we are in there and we need totally are reliant upon God and his choice to pull out who he wants to pull out from the sinful condition, the pit that we are in. So that's T, total depravity. The U stands for, uh, that one's a little harder, I guess. Uh, unconditional election is what the U stands for, that God chooses who has salvation. And it's ultimately unconditionally elected. So the election is that God elects uh, those to be saved unconditionally. And Arminianists, the other side, would say, well, he chooses, so there's still this choice that we as Christians would say, but the Arminianists probably would say something like, well, it's, it's a, maybe a combination of us and God choosing, or it's a, this idea that God chose because he knew that we would choose him, uh, is the Arminian side. But the Calvinist side says, his unconditioned God totally, by God's choice, chooses us. So the L. What does it stand for? Unlimited atonement. And this is the hard one. This is the one that kind of makes it really serious all of a sudden. Um, Limited atonement is that atonement is limited for those God elected. This is what Calvinism says. And this is the hard one. um, Because it says that Christ died for the elect. For those that God chose. And so you could kind of say, if you're a true Calvinist... Um, you would say that, well, maybe Christ didn't die for everyone. Christ just died for the ones that he, God, would choose. And this is, so if you ever hear someone say, I'm a four-point Calvinist, it's probably this one, the limited atonement, that they either reject or that they want to um, talk further about. Uh, uh, A pastor that many of you probably respect, Mark Driscoll, um, says that he is a five-point Calvinist, but his, his way of saying it He says, uh, I'm a five-point Calvinist, but on this one, limited atonement, I have a huge footnote, is how he says. And so he talks through what he means by limited atonement, that that Christ's death was for the elect and and potentially not for those God didn't elect. Um, And he has a long footnote to explain that. So that's limited atonement. Um, Moving right along, um, if you're taking notes, uh, the I stands for irresistible grace. Yeah, I heard it out there. Good. That grace is irresistible. Do, 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 do. Simply irre... Right? Anybody? Uh, Anyways. um, Trying to make a theological joke. Sorry. Uh, If God calls you, if, if grace is extended to you, if the ladder is lowered to you in the pit, figuratively, let's say, then you cannot help but to choose it, to, to, to go along with it. God's will for the chosen, for the elect, is, is irresistible. You cannot resist his grace. If he chooses you, then you can't resist it. And it seems, so all of these kind of go along with each other. And of course, we get to the P, which, which most people really like the P. Um, so if you're a four-point Calvinist, you probably throw out the L or have a long footnote for the L. Um, but I think a lot of you in here would be uh, you would like the P. Uh, and the P stands for, <laughs> I just caught myself what I said. Lots of you would like the P. <laughs> Anyways, I need to grow up. I have like a middle school mentality <laughs> and I apologize because it's not even, obviously not even that funny. <laughs> <laughs> I just said P. Oh gosh. Um, perseverance of the saints is what it stands for. And then often this is called once saved, always saved. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. That if you are saved, then you will persevere. The perseverance of the saints. And a lot of us Christians really like this one. Because it says that, of course, we can't lose our salvation. Whereas the other side is going to say, well, maybe you can lose it. And there's discussion about how you would lose it. But the P, the perseverance of the saints, and Calvinism says, of course, if, if you are chosen... Because you're totally depraved and you are given grace, it's totally irresistible. And if you receive that grace, then of course you cannot lose that grace because it's all by God's sovereignty that you are chosen and saved and no one can take you out of his hand. And, and of course, there's lots of verses that talk about that. Um, so this is the one that I think a lot of Christians, um, whether they realize it 
or not, if you've ever had a discussion with a fellow Christian about um, if you can lose your salvation, what you're really discussing is Calvinism and Arminianism, um, but maybe you didn't know that. Um, so, perseverance of the saints, you cannot lose your salvation. How many of you would say, uh, just right now, if you had to say, how many of you would say, I don't think you could lose your salvation under any circumstance? And how many of you would say, well, maybe there's a circumstance in which you could reject it or lose it? Wow, about half and half. Um, so, that's the discussion. Um, so, that's Calvinism. Are you ready for Arminianism? Yes. Okay. Here's the other side. So, the total depravity, kind of the opposite, maybe not the total opposite, but the, the other side to total depravity is that we are not really totally depraved. We can, uh, maybe some of you would say, if you're Arminianist, you would say, uh, we would work with God for our salvation. He would extend the ladder to us down in the pit, but then maybe we would have to climb it is how some Arminianists would say. Whereas a Calvinist would say, no, God just chooses. He picks you up out of that pit because he loves you and he cares for you and he is totally sovereign. Um, so that's, that's the, the other side of the T. And by the way, there's not really, I've seen a few acronyms for Arminianism, but they're just not as popular. I've seen roses um, and it's just, it feels like each one's kind of a stretch. Like, what? I don't know. So anyways, uh, that's our Arminian side if you've heard a lot about TULIP and, uh, and you're like, well, what's the acronym for Arminianism? Well, there's not really one that's universally accepted. Sorry, Arminianists. Um, anyways, so the other side of unconditional election is that maybe God chooses, because bo- here's what's confusing. Um, I think both a true Calvinist and a true Arminianist would say there's some amount, we have to say as Christians, looking at the Bible, God is in control. So there is some amount of him choosing for salvation, those people that he wants to choose. Um, and a Calvinist would say it's, it's totally unconditionally elected. And an Arminianist would say, well, maybe God knew that you would choose him. Therefore, he chose you. And it's this partnering, this relationship between uh, a choosing both God's choice and your choice working together. Um, and, and maybe our Arminianists will, will have some more to say about that um, particularly. But, but that's, so, so both kind of talk about the choice, but one says, Arminianists would say, he chose us because uh, maybe he knew, God knew that we would choose him. Kind of makes sense? A little bit? A little bit? <laughs> no, okay. The L, the limited atonement, uh, the other side of that is God is totally, um, that, that salvation is unlimited, that, that Christ died for everyone. And this is the one that the Arminianists um, really like. Um, most Arminians would, would, would harp on a Calvinist and say, Christ only died for those that he chose. Um, the the Arminians would, would say, well, Christ died for everyone. It's, and it's our choice. Um, and we have responsibility to go to him. Um, so that's the unlimited atonement. The I for Christable grace is, of course, grace is resistible. You could resist it. God could be calling. God could be knocking on the door of your heart again and again and again and trying to lead you to salvation. But an Arminius would say, there are those that can reject that. There are those that could harden their hearts. There are those that um, could turn away from God, potentially even after having salvation. And that's the last point here, that um, it is salvation. Uh, saints can lose salvation. Um, that, 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 so half of you in here would say, maybe salvation can be lost in the sense of rejected. Some of you may even be, uh, I would say, kind of extreme and say, Maybe you lose your salvation every time you sin, like you lose your car keys or you lose your cell phone. Just lost my salvation. Oopsie-daisy. I would say that's pretty extreme because, well, we don't get our salvation by works. Why would we lose our salvation by works? But most Arminianists would say that salvation can be lost. And maybe it's not the, the, the word lost isn't the right word, but maybe rejected is a better word that you could, even after being saved, reject salvation. So, Look at it. Just look at it. <clears throat> Calvinism, Arminianism. Um, I realize we should have switched these because we're going to have the panel people. So we switch it now just for, no, you're good? Yeah, yeah, switch it. No, no. <laughs> I'll switch it really quick. But the people already have their books and stuff. 
I'll, I'll switch everything. And then they'll just not leave it. <laughs> Why are you so passionate about this? What's wrong with you? Anyway, I'll leave it for goodness sakes. Gosh. Um, so the Calvinist side. So we're going to start using these terms. So make sure you're, if, if you're going to at least follow any part of the rest of Sunday school, make sure you know Calvinist is equal to um, predestination, that God predestines his saints. Uh, Arminianism, God um, allows you to have responsibility and to choose by your own free will, salvation or not. So uh, let's do our panel discussion, shall we? Uh, Higgins, Jordan, Annie, come on up. It's like heroes of Sunday school. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah. All right. So each each person, we're going to start, I, I decided we'll do alphabetical order. It will be fair. Um, so we're going to have uh, each one of them read a little paragraph that they wrote. And then um, then they'll each be given three minutes as to why they are Calvinist or middle ground or Arminianist. And then, and then you're going to write, so be thinking of questions as a table for either Jordan, the Arminianist, uh, Aaron Higgins, the middle, or Annie Tuttle, the Calvinist. Um, cool beans? Cool beans. Okay, cool beans. Okay, here is, uh, you, this is Jordan's. Gabe, thank you. <laughs> he's on it. <laughs> Dude, he's the tech guy and he's awesome. Yeah, a round of applause for Gabriel, tech guy. <laughs> Extraordinaire. <clears throat> All right. So Arminianism is a soteriological standpoint that emphasizes the role of free will in the salvation process of an individual. The view agrees with the five fundamentals of Orthodox Christianity, inerrancy of scripture, the deity of Christ, vicarious substitutionary blood atonement, physical resurrection of Christ, and the bodily return of Christ. However, a true Arminianist differs on matters of original sin, eternal security, and election. And as Joe stated, probably the hardest one to get along with is losing one's salvation or being in a place where you have come to salvation and then decide to eventually resist it. And so I drew up this little like, timeline to kind of illustrate like, the four uh, positions you could be in in terms of salvation. So the first one, if you're here, prior to BDE, which stands for being drawn or enabled by the Holy Spirit... If you are there, so the Holy Spirit has had no work in your life and you're just kind of running amok, uh, you are unable to believe, but you're able to resist. So if the Spirit basically kind of tried to get your attention or work its way out of your heart, you would be able to say, no, I'm not on that train, I don't believe that, moving on. The next position that you could have is having been drawn and enabled by the Spirit, um, but prior to being regenerated, which is the work of God, Uh, you are able to believe, you are also able to resist. So basically the Holy Spirit draws on you and says, starts to minister, I guess, with your spirit and says, this is the truth, this is the way uh, that God has ordained things, that kind of thing. You are able to either choose that or you're able to resist it. The next place is once a believer is regenerated. So now that you've been regenerated by God, you're no longer a non-believer, you have the title of believer, you are able to continue believing or you're able to stop believing or resist. And lastly, that's where you want to be, by the way. (laughs) Uh, And lastly, upon resisting to the point of unbelief, you are now only able to resist again. So basically, you start back at square one. So this timeline kind of follows a person who was unsaved, then said yes to the work of the Spirit, became regenerated by God, is now a believer and living a godly life, and then decides, I don't want that anymore, I'm hopping off. And I can no longer, basically, I can lose my salvation. Good. That's a really long paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> but should we move on to the Calvinists? So we'll go across, and then we'll go to the middle ground. So this is Annie Tuttle's paragraph. All right. I said that Calvinism is the Protestant theological system rooted in the teachings of the French reformer John Calvin and his successors, Um, It it develops Luther's doctrine of justification through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, um, or because of Christ alone, as well as realizing and emphasizing the absolute sovereignty and grace of God, summarized in five main points, 
which Joe already went over, but their total depravity, which could be said like radical corruption, um, unconditional election or sovereign anointing, um, limited atonement, which is particular redemption, irresistible grace. And not that we don't sin, but that God is going to have his own. He's going to, God always gets his man is what I wrote. And perseverance of the saints is um, just the demonstration of our salvation, that working out our salvation with the Lord. Um, And to be asked why I am a Calvinist. um, Well, we'll hold on to that for now. Yeah. Because then we'll have, we'll have, we'll come back to everyone. Okay. have like three minutes. All right, cool. So Higgins for the for the middle position, which you which you found this word just this week, right? Yeah, Called yeah. Molinism. So, so I've always kind of been uh, torn between the two, where there are scriptures that support both sides, and I don't want to seem like a wishy washy middle ground person, um, I, but I am. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. So. Uh, I wanted to find a true definition of what this middle position was between the two viewpoints. And there's, there's a lot of it. There's, there's being a Lutheran. That's, that's more on the side of Calvinism. Calvinism developed that. Uh, there's Wesleyan Arminianism, and there's also pure Arminianism. But there's really no bridge between those two. So I discovered this. Uh, and I've, I've spent the last four days reading all about it, and I don't begin to pretend to understand all of it. Because this is a philosophical approach to theology versus a theological approach to philosophy. So, Molinism. Uh, Molinism is an attempt to provide a solution to the philosophical problems associated with God's providence, his sovereignty, foreknowledge, uh, the Calvinistic view of predestination, and the freedom of humanity, the Arministic view of free will. Therefore, Molinism maintains that God is sovereign over creation, while at the same time, human beings have libertarian free will. And by libertarian free will, and I'll get into that a little more in depth, uh, there's different types of free will in terms of theology. There's, there's a Calvinistic view of free will. There's the Arminianist view of free will. The Molinist uh, picks the Arminian view of free will, which is libertarian free will, which means that you and you alone make your own decisions. Cool. All right, so now we're going to have three minutes for each person to kind of tell us why they are each a view or to convert you to their view. Um, so, the Armenian first. Jordan, are you ready? We'll put up your counter. And so. go! I probably won't even take three minutes. Um, one thing I did want to clear up that I noticed in the slide before, um, a true Arminianist does not believe well, I should say, does believe in total depravity. So we said not total depravity on the slide, and everything Joe said was completely accurate, but the way that it manifests itself is an Arminianist does believe in that depravity or um, separation from God, our fallen state, is complete. However, it doesn't prevent free will, whereas a Calvinist would say, because I am depraved, I don't have even the free will to kind of hop on the train that God has already set in motion, and that train being salvation. So I just wanted to clear that up. Um, I would say I'm an Arminianist. Um, pretty much all my life I've grown up with free will. Um, I like to, I really love the metaphor of God being our father, and so the way that my father raised me was even when he knew I was going to make a bad choice, he would let me make it anyway. It's um, a good dad right there. Right? <laughs> For the sake of learning, and, you know, and teaching, and obviously, if too many bad choices was leading into a, a poor lifestyle, there would be some uh, conviction there. But it's kind of like a parent who knows the end result, but lets you kind of make the in-between choices and gives you that freedom to operate, and then to choose a righteous path or to choose an unrighteous path. Um, and so, I definitely identify with free will, absolutely. Um, I suppose the hardest thing about being an Arminianist is uh, we don't believe in once saved, always saved. Basically, you can lose your salvation. And that goes along with having free will. Um, basically, you know, in life, if, and I guess to put it, I should put it this way. We talked in our think tank, uh, the meeting that we have together, just about how an alcoholic doesn't become an alcoholic in one day. And a believer doesn't become a non-believer in one day. Usually it's a progression and a loss of 
uh, righteous behavior and righteous thinking and a loss of identifying oneself with Christ. And so I don't think that it's anything that you can wake up one day and you made one really bad choice and then you've lost your salvation. That's not it at all. It, it's, a very, it's more like you're weaned off of a righteous lifestyle and out of the faith um, as you begin to adopt, I guess, a different viewpoint on the world and a different opinion about faith. I have 30 seconds. Um, so I identify with that uh, personally. I would say that I could lose my salvation. Um, and I would say even like personally, previous in life, like I've gone through a period, you know, like people could say it's a period of drought or where you just like, you feel like God is not in your life and um, you really aren't. Five? Oh man. So anyway, I think you can go through a period still without losing your salvation. I don't think I've lost my salvation, but at the same time I have been inactive in Christ, as you might say. That's good. All right. So that's the Arminius. So Annie is our resident Calvinist, and at the meeting, we keep referring to the meeting on Tuesday, um, I think everyone was just asking Annie questions, really hard questions, and you had answers to them, uh, really good answers to really hard questions. So we'll give you your three minutes. I've been um, excited to hear from you. So go ahead. All right. So when it comes to why I am a Calvinist, um, I wouldn't say that I necessarily started out um, understanding the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. Um, But I think that I've always been a Calvinist. Um, And really, I came to faith when I was about six years old. Um, There was a Sunday school teacher that um, used the... um, Well, there had been some ducklings that had hatched in the courtyard on Easter Sunday, and she used an analogy um, with the ducklings to describe being born again and finding new life in Christ. And for me, um, I, you know, I was, somehow it just caught my attention. I just really appreciated it. And um, she asked me if I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart. And even at that young age, um, That didn't sound quite right to me, and my response to her was, I think he's asking me into his. Um, And I think that that's really just the emphasis um, that my life has taken ever since is God's role in drawing me to himself. Um, John 6, 44 says that um, no one comes to, it was Jesus speaking, no one comes to me unless the Father um, who sent me draws him. Um, And so... Honestly, um, I think that that's really the basis of election um, and the understanding that we, <laughs> we are chosen not because of anything that we have done. Um, and it just brings me to my knees thinking about it. But in terms of the three or the five different points of Calvinism, um, total depravity, I, I would just say you can't understand the good news unless you understand the bad news. And reality is we were dead in our trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2 states. And um, being dead um, doesn't... The, the analogies that scripture uses, such as being born again or raised to life or um, becoming a new creation, are metaphors that um, we really have no say in. So instead of just like um, a ladder being let down um, into a pit, I would say that indeed you're dead at the bottom of the pit. You have no way of climbing that ladder. Uh, there's often um, an analogy used where someone is drowning out in the ocean and God sends them a life, like a little life raft or whatever. <laughs> and honestly, um, I think it would be better, a better analogy if we said a drowned victim. Um, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, not us, not, <laughs> not any of us, but God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive together with Christ. Um, and that's really the foundation of Calvinism, is understanding our total need of God. And there you go. That's good. Well done, Annie. Good. So hopefully you see it, and I think both of them in, in different ways kind of corrected my, because I, fi- I find myself more maybe with Aaron in the middle view, so maybe I didn't. I, the, the whole pit analogy, Annie said, is that's not, you were dead in the pit. I liked that. And it's like, yeah, God raised you, to, like you were dead down there. And, and, and Jordan said, uh, you're, maybe you're not totally 
depraved, or you are totally depraved, and yet there's still maybe something that God puts inside of you for you to choose him. So good, good sides to, to both. So now we hear the middle position, and I'm going to start another timer because we have a you have some slides which will which will mess up the yeah and the it, it, it does uh, these slides do need to happen because it is a little confusing it, let's see stopwatch <clears throat> started all right go okay so Molinism uh, it's named after a guy a Jesuit theologian named Louis de Molina who uh, lived in the 16th century uh, this came around actually before Calvin and before Arminius mm-hmm. uh, Arminianism was was really formed and put on a paper. Yeah, so this was first. Uh, it's it's not really a bridge between the two. Rather, it's I would say an entirely new starting point. Um, and and it, like I said, it has to do more with philosophy than it does have to do with theology. Uh, so I, I put together a slide here explaining a little bit further about what this means. Who's here familiar with string theory? Nerds. Okay. okay. Super nerdy. Who has seen the TV show Fringe? Nerds. Okay. So what, what am I getting here? So string theory is actually relatively new theory, and it seems like a tangent. But the idea is, is that each and every choice that you make, you've made it. So you come to a fork in a road, and you take the left and the right. Now, it's, it's a little weird. Uh, in terms of string theory, a whole new universe is created, so on and so on. Well, what Molinism tries to do is that there's three forms of God's knowledge. Put up the three? Yeah, so go ahead and put up the three. So God has natural knowledge or necessary truths. These are non-contingent. That is, they are independent of God's will and include all possible and logical possibilities. Such as this st- statement, X cannot be A and not A at the same time, in the same way, or the same place. Okay. Makes sense? I know, this is a little hard. God has middle knowledge, which is the range of all possible things that could happen under given circumstances. This does not mean every possibility. This is where kind of string theory comes into play. String theory says, well, most everything that's possible could happen and has happened, and that's what... God's knowledge is, is that this second knowledge is called the middle knowledge. This is the key to Molinism. And this says that God knows not only what you are going to do, but what you would do in any particular scenario. And the third is God has free knowledge, which is contingent truths that are dependent upon God's will, are truths that God brings about and he makes them happen, uh, that he did not have to bring about, such as the creation of the universe or the creation of mankind. This contains the future and what will happen. So the Calvinist is going to go more with the third choice. The Arminius will go more with the first choice. The Molinist says all three are correct. How much time do I have there, Joe? Fifteen seconds. Fifteen seconds. Okay. So God perfectly accomplishes his will in the lives of genuinely free creatures through the use of his omnipotence. So that, that phrase there is, I think, the, the key and in the nutshell sentence of what Molinism is. It's both free will and a determined outcome. Good. And you had some scriptures. Oh, yeah, let's give a round of applause. Thank you. There are scriptures backing this up. Good. Really good. That's a lot of scriptures as well. So um, here's what we want you to do now. Give you a chance to chit-chat amongst your table. I'm sure um, some of you are more Arminian. Now you know what that means. Some of you are more Calvinistic, and now you know what that means. So uh, on your tables are little pieces of white paper Come up with a question. Here's what I want. Uh, what questions? I really just want you to do one question per table, though, if we're going to even pretend to do, like, some of them. Uh, so it's one per table. What question do you have uh, for one of the people or all of them? So you could say, Calvinist, what would you say to this? Or all three of you, how would you answer this? Ready, get set, go quickly. Okay, we have a lot of questions Probably more than we can get to. So, Higgins, do you want to start with one? That's the Higgins is the middle ground. Or you want to start, Jordan? Oh, I'm cool 
You want to start, Annie? Um, Annie said they're all the same question, yeah, basically, for the Calvinist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'll, I'll go ahead. I kind of like this one. Um, what is the position of the Catholic Church? Molinism. Uh, Molinism, you think? Mo- yeah, well, middle ground? It's, it's not given that label. Because um, I, I did look that up. What, what do the Catholics think? Uh, they take a more Calvinistic approach to Molinism, um, where uh, things are a bit more predetermined than, say, an, Armin- uh, an Arminian would say uh, in his approach with Molinism. I think uh, next time we will, I'll talk more about the history of these two, two views. We have to realize that, of course, both of them came out. The Catholic Church came before the Protestant Church. Right. Protestants are the protesters of the Catholic Church. That's our very name, if you didn't know. And so these views kind of come out of that. So we'll talk about that a lot next time. Right, and because the, the, the Catholic Church has condemned uh, semi-Pelagianism and Pelagianism, a uh, guy named Pelagius, uh, so those those are condemned heresies, um, and that's Catholic Church's view does change seemingly with every pope, at least a little bit. Uh, but it, it is more or less Molinism in a nutshell. Cool, Jordan. Questions. Awesome. Um, really good questions here. One: If Jesus bore the wrath of God for the sins of the world, will God be just in punishing both Jesus and the sinner for the sinner's sin? So, holding true to the Arminianist belief that Jesus' death satisfies God's justice, um, basically God's standards are so perfect, they're so high, uh, that none of us could ever reach them. The only person to ever satisfy them is Christ. Through his crucifixion, he has been punished. Um, And we would, an Arminianist would believe that Jesus' perfect record, his perfect name, his perfect obedience, everything about him, he traded to us on the cross. And so he took on the name of the murderer and the liar and the adulterer. And basically every type of sin was then cast upon him, and thus he needed to be killed. And so um, it's very, I guess, philosophical, but also theological in that you, like an Arminius, believes that Christ took on the reputation and the track record of all sinners to and all sins ever to be committed after his departure from earth and was punished for them. So will the sinner be punished? No, because of grace. Christ has been punished for us. His perfection and his suffering he did for us and has traded it to us. And so basically God sees us as his perfect body and his like his people through almost like through the lens of Christ so that'd be my answer to that one Annie what question do you have (laughs) it looks like Annie had the majority of questions yeah I Uh, figured that would happen (laughs) all right so um the I'll just read the questions first it says if there is predestination then what is the point of mission work if the people we are already talking to might not be chosen? Um, Another question that I got was, why would God send someone to hell if they never had the opportunity to follow him because of the fact that they are not elect? And finally, um, with a scripture reference, 1 Timothy 2.4, this question asks, says God wants all men to be, that that, passage says that all, God wants all men to be saved, and if that's the case, why aren't all saved? So, um, my first answer would just be to the first question. If God um, is sovereign, then why evangelize? Why do mission work? It's because God is sovereign that we are called to do mission work. He not only chooses the end, um, but he chooses the means by which we get there. Um, it's, he commanded us in the Great Commission to um, seek out opportunities to share the gospel. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news. And um, when asking what is the point of that, it's not only our duty, but it is also our privilege. It is to our advantage. Anyone of you who has had the opportunity to participate in what God is doing um, and see someone come to know the Lord, um, knows that it's a tremendous joy. Um, And so (laughs) that's my answer to that question. Um, The next of just how could a loving God predestine people to hell? Um, Well, he, Proverbs 16, 4, 
um, does say that God creates all and predestines even um, even those that are going to hell. Um, and yes, that that's an ugly truth. Maybe not ugly, but it's a reality. God is a judge. Um, and he's loving and he's righteous. And I think it's the wrong question to be asking. I think the correct question to be asking is, how could a loving and righteous and holy and perfect God allow anyone um, who is a sinner to enter his perfect and gracious and beautiful presence? Um, he can't without grace. Um, and so... That would be my answer to those two questions. I'm trying to remember what the other question was. Mission? Um, or no, you answered that one. Hang on. Oh, yeah. If, all God, if God wants all men to be saved, um, why aren't all saved? His desires, um, his perfect plan was that none of us should sin. That was his perfect desire. But his I guess, so <laughs> let me start that over. His desire was that none should sin. But that's reality. His desires don't always match up with what actually happens. Um, the cross was always predestined to occur. Um, but these things, yeah, does that, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there you go. There's yeah. my answer. Wow, so it's already, it's 10.32, and we usually end at 10.30, so we have to kind of, we have like 40 questions up here, and we got to like three of them or four of them. So maybe we'll continue this, um, we have all month to talk about this, so I'll talk a little next time about the history of these things, and then this will probably give some of them uh, more time to think through them. So let's conclude, uh, it's a sobering way to conclude and kind of a jarring way to conclude because we still have lots of questions um, that are unanswered, but we have all month. So let's pray, let's thank God for his justice and his sovereignty and for giving us opportunities and freedoms. So God, we thank you, Lord. We, we do declare that you are sovereign and good and holy and God, at the same time, we, you've inspired us to live like you have lived and to do good works that you have preordained for us to do. And so, God, as we see um, these two different ends and the balance in between and the, the differences among them, God, give us wisdom. Give us understanding. God, I pray that everyone in this room will be just this increased desire to know you and to know how um, you have salvation for us. God, we, we worship you. We praise your holy name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.